Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Kai, and we're both boy mums navigating the tween and teenage years, discussing nutrition, exercise, midlife, lifestyle, and more. And this is the Midlife Munching and Movement Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This week, we will be talking about the menstrual cycle and how that affects cravings and our training regimes. Hi, Jen. Hi, Kyra. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Are you? Yeah, I'm well. Thank you. Kids are back at school. They are. It has been a busy week getting back into the routine, but we're there. We're good. Absolutely. Ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I keep thinking, where, where is he? And then realising he's back at school. <laughs> <laughs> Very quiet in the house. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we are talking about the menstrual cycle this week. So I think that what we will probably do is, as we're both nutritionists, we'll both have quite a bit to say about cravings and types of fuel during certain parts of the cycle. But when it comes to training, you're the PT, that's your level of expertise. So I will hand that over to you at those points. Um, Just as kind of like an outline for this, we're going to kind of base what we're talking about today on the average 28-day cycle, aren't we? So yeah, yeah, so it's like we appreciate not everyone has a 28-day cycle. We also appreciate that some of the things that we explain may be experienced differently for each woman. Um, and that we there are lots of different things that factor into that. So for example, we may have listeners with polycystic ovarian syndrome, like I do, um, that may not fit within this average kind of menstrual cycle that is is used in the textbooks to describe what is usually experienced. Um, but then there may still be things in there that explain certain behaviors and there will certainly be mm-hmm. common and shared symptoms amongst us all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll start off talking about um, the different phases of the, um, of the menstrual cycle so that a lot of the phrases that are used you will be familiar with so from day one so that's the day that your period starts through to day 14 we call that the follicular phase and this is when um estrogen starts to rise again um and the lining of the womb starts to thicken um so that's that's the beginning part of of the cycle for women around 10 day 10 to 14 um this is usually um ovulation um and around this time this is when we get the peak in our estrogen um so we'll see appetite changes there as well and water retention etc and then the latter part of the cycle is from day 15 to 28 and we call that i call it the luteal phase but i think people pronounce it different how do you pronounce it luteal same so, as me yeah very similar yeah yeah, yeah. luteal phase yeah so we'll go a little bit into depth on those phases shall we so day so from day one the dreaded d-day the day the period comes this is mm. this is something that fascinates me because it's so that day is so different for every person that experiences experiences menstruation we get some people who are completely bed bound because the pain is excruciating, the flow is really heavy. We get people mm-hmm. who feel like real utter sheer relief. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is the best day of the whole cycle for them. Um, and then we have everything in between. Yeah. It's one of those where I think for some people, like as soon as it happens, they're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand why I haven't slept or I've been really moody or this is her or that because I think a lot of the symptoms that you would associate with coming on like cramps headaches yeah if you don't get those mm-hmm. but you are slightly moodier yeah like you could have just had a bad day or maybe like you are stressed at work or whatever, so you don't associate it with that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like you wake up 
or you know some people mm. get it in the middle of the day don't they it, it just it happens and then you think oh oh and it <laughs> oh, all that's clicks it was, in yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah especially um, for people who don't track their cycle um and yeah. people whose cycle doesn't fit within the 28 day cycle because then it just comes when it comes and you're like oh okay now I know what that was yeah I I track my cycle on my phone do you I do um one other category I would probably put in there is as you age and your periods change yeah because um you might have been used to a 28 day cycle mm-hmm. and then it might change and go longer yeah or it might even change and go shorter. I think mm-hmm. often people with a shorter cycle are not catered to as much. Mm. Like I have a client that has a 22-day cycle. Yeah. So it's really short. Um, and that can be a little bit like, oh, well, there isn't a lot of um, mm. places to look for information on that. It, yeah. But there are if you have a longer cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah I definitely track and I find it really useful to track yeah especially as you get older that's exactly what I was just going to say I think now that as like we're heading into that age of our life where perimenopause symptoms are creeping in etc I think that it's been incredibly useful to track because they have I mean considering the fact that I have polycystic ovarian syndrome my periods have been relatively regular um I I certainly couldn't complain too much about it it could have been it could have been a lot worse but since I've kind of got older that they have changed the length of them is way less predictable um Mm. yeah definitely noticed that and I think sometimes you can if you don't track you can start questioning yourself is this actually happening um am I I, you know am I making it up especially because you get a lot of brain fog as you as you go through perimenopause don't you so it's been really helpful for me to look through and go oh like actually I'm like two weeks out (laughs) yeah I think it's really useful as well um when you first start your periods to get into the habit of tracking because they can take up to 10 years to settle Mm. into like such a a regular routine sounds like for you to find your way which is bizarre like if Mm. you start at 14 say you've got to like 24 where Mm. you can kind of be very up and down and, and you know have irregular periods and it might not be a condition it might just be your hormones aren't fully settled yet yeah um so then if you're not tracking and you're needing to go to the doctor and sort of say I think I'm having trouble or I'm getting confused or you know as you go a little bit further into your 20s and you decide that you might want to have a baby or whatever if you if you're not tracking and you don't understand where you are and how you feel and what symptoms you're you're kind of getting it can feel even more stressful I think yeah oh yeah definitely 100% what definitely worth mentioning because a lot of our listeners will have young people in their life experiencing that so it's a really good tip yeah. to say, get tracking it early and the, that's yeah. the great thing really about modern technology I mean, long gone yeah. are the days oh, where we yeah. just put a red star in our diary. <laughs> I know, yeah. I used to do little little circles around the dates. <laughs> yeah, just to, this is when we're expecting. expecting it's there now. It's on. It's on and up. And so, in the in the um, follicular phase, so days like one to fourteen of the cycle, um, this as mentioned at the beginning, there that's when our estrogen begins to rise again, and the lining of the womb starts to thicken, ready for ovulation. And a really interesting thing about this time um, during the, the cycle itself is that this is when our appetite and our feelings of hunger are at their most stable. So you may Mm -hmm. notice, and actually quite a lot of the women that I work with will tell me that, you know, once they've got over that initial coming on um, of their period, they actually feel the least hungry that they feel throughout their whole cycle. Um, So this can be something that we can really use to their advantage, um, particularly if we're trying to like gain muscle or lose fat example for example we can really use these stable appetite and hunger um, cues to kind of maximize us getting them to their goal um, and then this part of the phase as well of the cycle as well carbs are the most predominant fuel source um, mm. 
So, you know, usually, generally speaking, um, we use roughly about 50% of our daily dietary intake from about, for about 50% of our daily dietary intake is carbohydrates. Sorry, got the wrong teeth in today. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, we could do 50 to 60% um, to fuel exercise in this phase. What would you say, um, how would you say this affects training? Um, well, as you say, because the estrogen is more dominant, um, it means that we're we're more insulin sensitive. So mm -hmm. we do um, encourage more carbohydrates just because you're, you have more, I don't like the term necessarily, but you can quote unquote get away with having more carbs um, because the body will use it a little bit quicker. But it's also the time when most women mm -hmm. feel most powerful. So you're less likely to be injured. You have a lot more energy. So I would usually look to prescribe. This is where we would up the reps uh, if uh, or up the weights. So go for your heavier lifting, like compound movements and try to get the hypertrophy effect mm. on this particular week um, because you're you're more likely to gain your muscle and store less fat during this phase um so anything like power moves strength based mm -hmm. um that's where I would put that yeah in that week so you're less likely to be injured doesn't mean you're not going to be mm. if you're that kind of person I don't want everyone to go and lift something <laughs> really heavy and then say oh gentle get, we get injured <laughs> you're less like research shows that you are less likely to be injured during this phase of your, your cycle the energy levels are just so much higher in this phase aren't they as well for most people yeah you know I mean I will say for me personally apps this is the week where I'm like right it's time to push yeah yeah um and it's for me personally it works really well and for a lot of my clients that I've got that's the week where we will test that has the strength increased by doing your one rep max um things and it seems to have worked for the most part yeah yeah it's really interesting like I, I should have clarified when we were talking about carbohydrates like you said it's the the We've said on previous podcasts, carbohydrates are the body's preferred fuel source. Mm. Um, and the um, way that the body is using carbohydrate during this phase is really efficient. And if you think about the type of energy that carbohydrate provides us with, it makes sense that this is the time during the cycle where we feel less fatigued. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've got a lot more energy to throw into those workouts. Yeah. And it, I think part of that might even be the psychological effect of when you are training for your cycle mm. maybe part of it is that you do say oh I'm so powerful this week so you are more likely to push yourself a little bit yeah. because you equate it to that um I mean I don't know that for sure that's just my little theory on it but I think it's well I think it's a really good point actually because in hindsight, I can say, um, having not known this as a younger woman and then learned about nutrition, exercise, um, female health, etc., as I've like matured, I can honestly say that once I knew this, it all fitted into place for me. And I thought that's exactly mm. how I feel. And because mm -hmm. I now understand that that's not just the way that I feel, but that's actually something that I can utilize to my own advantage. I do mentally prepare myself for that. So yeah. in those final, in that final week or few days before my period comes, I allow the positive mental attitude to, to creep in to say, okay, this is crap. <laughs> but mm. in a few days time, I'm going to really be able to leverage this to my own advantage. And it, yeah. one, it helps me get through the difficult time of the actual final bit of your cycle, but also then it helps me get over the difficult part from when your period comes as well. Cause my periods are quite heavy and quite painful. Um, and I feel really, really fatigued on that very first day, but by day three, I'm ready to fight the world. Um, yeah. and, and I feel like you might be right in what you're saying in that there's a mindset shift because I'm expecting it. Yeah, I think it's an incredible, powerful thing. Going back right to the beginning when we said about tracking, mm. um, because what we tend to do in the fitness industry is 
give somebody a set of calories mm-hmm. often it's very um I don't know let's pull a number out let's say eat 1500 calories a day for the whole month and like just get on with it um and then you need to do these sets of workouts and this many steps and I think for many people that can work but for a woman that perhaps does struggle with her hormones throughout the month it can be a really impractical tool whereas if you realize that your body does not work on a 24 hour clock Mm -hmm. and you are capable of training that body for the month rather than for the day that Mm -hmm. gives you a little bit more autonomy over your training plan and a little bit more control yeah so because if you look at it and then you say right I know that I can do my best work between days one and seven then you might look at that. You might eat a little bit more then so you can up your calories so you can do more steps, more training, more power lifts, more power work, more capacity work, get everything in and really build on everything. Mm -hmm. And then you might say further down the line, mid-cycle, this is where I start to eat rubbish or this is where I start to need more calories. So you can then eat that way. I don't mm-hmm. know if we're there yet, are we? Sorry, am I jumping ahead? Right. Then you can eat You can eat a little bit more or a little bit less. And you then know. you can train a little bit more or a little bit less. You but it adjust. doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean at the end of the month, you're not going to hit your goal of whatever it was. If you train in a way that is good for your body rather than just thinking this is over the week you know so many women beat themselves up because they haven't hit the step target or they haven't hit their calories for a day and I'm like well your body doesn't reset at 12 o'clock at night (laughs) doesn't go oh oh, it's too late now sorry you've turned into a pumpkin kind of thing yeah failure failure again goes back to shame yeah guilt doesn't it we were talking about last week and when we hit like ovulation um we uh, that's like roughly around day 14 I think ovulation Mm. for me I can feel it Mm, uh, yeah I can actually many women say this yeah I can actually feel the ovulation phase um and this is when the progesterone starts to rise your estrogen will start to drop here and you will get a like a spike in your testosterone um, so around mm. this time, it's often reported that women will get increased libido. So your sex drive will go up. Well, this makes perfect sense from a biological mm-hmm. perspective, because if this is the time where your eggs being released, of course, that's going to be the time where your sex drives up because the whole process is intended to facilitate conception. Um, so that, that makes perfect sense. But I think interestingly, from our perspective, this sees a reduce a further reduction in appetite around this time so maybe for like a couple of days this is where you will have less appetite you will have the least water retention um and mm-hmm. well you say that you'll have it but it, you will ha- have water retention in the breasts usually so they'll be a little bit enlarged the rest of the body doesn't seem to hold the water quite as much maybe that's my experience kind of <laughs> leads into that feeling of feeling a little bit sexy probably yeah maybe I don't know <laughs> there I'm is guessing. A maybe, maybe that's just that... me <laughs> <laughs> there is a theory about the shape of the woman's body mm-hmm. and um the heavier breast and how that affects um I don't know if it's the right term the male gaze and how they feel about um what is it my brain fog is through the roof today (laughs) clearly (laughs) how they feel about um you know being intimate and stuff so perhaps on the the on from our side as well yeah I know I personally go up about two cup sizes really um yeah it's is this in the in the final stage both Oh, it's so from this like, point onwards. Yeah, yeah, I inflate, deflate, yeah. inflate again. And yeah. I used to be just like live in sports bras, so it didn't massively mm. affect me that much. But I have started to notice 
that um even those are changing now mm. like they're I don't know if it's an age thing so I'm holding a little bit more fat in my breast tissue in general but um sometimes I feel like my chin is sitting nicely on the top of my breasts <laughs> <laughs> um so, so yeah to rest your interesting. yeah exactly so yeah. yeah it's interesting interesting it is it is interesting how we have these different perspectives I mean anytime I get water retention on my bust I'm unhappy because I'm quite a big busted person and mm. Yeah, I'm like, no, dude, I do not want them any bigger. Don't touch me. Do it. No, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I can totally see how that would kind of how that how that's an evolutionary kind of biological thing that happens. And like you say, that's it is only theory. Um yeah, absolutely. Um, but they're still they're always interesting when we, we talk about those sorts of things. So from the ovulation, we then move into the um final part, the luteal phase. Um, and then as we can imagine from here, this is when the estrogen starts to drop briefly and then it starts to rise again and we will get, and this is the bit that, um, most women are surprised about. We will get a really small increase in our metabolism and between days 14 and 21, it's really small. Like it's like 9%, um, but it feels like (laughs) 10,000%. Yeah, doesn't it? I think I think an interesting point there is although it's only like nine mm-hmm. percent, it might be worth thinking like, do you sleep less at that time? Mm-hmm. Um, because then you've also got your um other hormones at play, like so your ghrelin will go higher. So yeah. if you've already got that little increase in as well. Ghrelin is 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 the hunger hormone like I like to think of it as like a little gremlin that's the easiest way to remember it (laughs) so that can if you have I think it's like less than five and a half hours um sleep Mm. it can increase by up to 15 percent so um a lot of like new mums for instance their ghrelin and leptin like rise and lower both by around 30 um 15 percent so that can bring those sugar cravings in them so that's probably why it feels specifically if you're not sleeping well like if you're someone that suffers from hot hot sweats and stuff you're not going to wake up in the morning and think oh it's only nine percent you're going to think god I'm really hungry (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely I think just as well to put that into kind of some kind of perspective because nine percent might not mean anything to a lot of people you're thinking somewhere a range between sort of 150 calories to 300 calories as an average based on the average which would be population. like a slice of toast and a peanut butter yeah roughly yeah or a mars so peanut bar. butter again or a mars bar yeah yeah something like that and and at this phase as well our fat storage is higher um and the body starts to use fats as fuel um, so it's here, rough, if you are really kind of monitoring your macronutrient intake, you might want to reduce your carbs to 40 to 50% at this phase. Um, and there's other things that go on as well. Lots of women will experience changes in their, um, in their bowels, like constipation. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you'll start the fluid retention now is starting to reduce further at this point. So you might notice this is the phase now where you see the numbers on the scales change down in a downward trend, but your appetite has increased. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think stuff. it's like, so the carb ratio, because a lot of people that would train would think 50% is quite a lot. Yeah. Um, what I would say there is you can manipulate your mac. Ma- I can't say the word you can manipulate your manipulate your macros I haven't got my teeth in um <laughs> to fit your goal mm. so we would look at something like um you could do a split of like 30 percent carbs yeah 40 percent protein 30 percent fat because you would up the, the fat intake that yeah. on that point mm-hmm. um but when we say up the fats we do mean like the healthy fats we do point that out (laughs) and also it's always worth noting that and and we're not saying that people should be managing their nutrition to this degree it's just interesting to know that 
fat intake should come from like no more than 30% of your calorie intake in a day. Yeah. At any point, this, anyway. This is where working with a coach is helpful because yeah. obviously what we're doing on this podcast is just giving general, general. guidance. Mm-hmm. But if you have a specific goal and you sort of want to delve a little bit deeper into it, it's, you know, it has to be personalized to fit you, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that's really fascinating how the body switches fuel types throughout the cycle as well. Mm. Um, on day without 20, even thinking about it, without even thinking about it, yeah. Um, and then days twenty one to twenty eight, your hormone levels drop. This is when we get PMS. Boy, don't we know about it? So you get significant water retention, weight gain, bloating, mood swings. Hunger, cravings, sore boobs, and my least favourite one, as if all of those are not that bad, um, is the increase in temperature. Now, it's Mm. only really small. It's a really small increase in body temperature. But for me, throughout my life, it has always felt like I'm about to spontaneously combust. See, I haven't had that feeling until I do get it more now it's very yeah. recent and it is something that I have started to track mm. because I literally I'm trying to work out am I getting ready to start perimenopause am I in perimenopause like what is going on and I keep asking my mom when did you start and she was like oh I don't know Jen I don't know my mom doesn't talk like that she'll kill me for saying she does um, but <laughs> she doesn't remember so I'm like trying to track it so I can get a handle on it and I swear, I feel like it goes up by 200 degrees. But yeah. it's not an every month thing. It seems to be every three months, my body will just go, oh, settled a bit, Jen. Know where you are, do you? Okay, <laughs> let's go a little bit higher this time, shall we? And it is intense. And I don't know if it's just this week because the heat is incredibly oh, yeah, warm it's... at night and there is no air at night anymore. No, but I just last night in particular literally felt like I was in a boiling pot I had to keep splashing myself with cold water like it was a lot (laughs) (laughs) I I have had that in temperature increase as I say throughout my life um and Mm. to the point where like if my husband or son came near me in that last week heading towards my period, they could physically feel the heat coming off me. Oh, wow. Is this in the day as well? It's not just at night? No, no, all the time. (gasps) Yeah. So if I was in the gym, this would massively impact my exercise in the gym. Um, Yeah. So, for example, if I'm lifting in the gym and I start off hot, the temperature just feels like it builds. So I find that quite difficult. Um, and going out for a run, even in the winter, I might wear less layers. Right. I might pull back a little bit on the intensity because the heat's unbearable. Yeah. I mean, from a training point of view anyway, mm. you may feel that everything is more effort. Yeah. And that your pain tolerance levels are a lot lower. So I would always say this is where if it's so depending on what exercise you do, if you're a a lifter for weights, this is where I would say you might want to lower them a little bit. Certainly don't go for any PBs on this week. Um, Concentrate on the higher rep range, Um, even metabolic and circuit training. So Mm -hmm. it sort of gets that that lift. Um, However, I would also say this is kind of a phase where you are prone more so to injury. So if you're like a runner, some people say about their joints feeling a little more elasticy and sore and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, For people that are in sports with their jumps and their lifts, those kind of things, it it's not a time where you kind of really want to be pushing that intensity in it. Um, what I, I do personally here, scale back a lot for myself. I go really light mm. and a, a higher rep range 
or if I stick with the same weight because I'm on a maintenance, I will do the same weight but a lower rep range because then I know that it will have an effect after. Okay. Um, but this is where I really encourage people to do like a lot of mobility work, a lot of steady state cardio. So even literally some people don't go to the gym at all that week and just yeah. stick to walking or yoga or Pilates, those kind of exercises are really, really good if you are somebody that suffers quite a lot with it. That's great, um, great idea. Just, yeah, anything that's like feels really, I'm going to say soothing and calming. So such simple things like could be meditation, mm. um, mobilizing things like yoga, Pilates, um, and I personally like a good massage in that week because, mm. you know, why the hell not <laughs> <laughs> treat yourself yeah treat yourself yeah definitely um we we also notice here that women experience gi issues don't we that's like a, mm. a real thing like gi means gastrointestinal issues we get period poo um women experience ibs like symptoms bloating um severe bloating and I don't know about you, but for me, that's definitely getting worse as I get older. And a lot of the women that I work with report bloating as one of the more annoying symptoms of menopause. Yeah, I think it's something that like is really confusing as well, because Mm. I I don't know about your experience with it, but mine is like changes daily. Mm. Like it's not I I'm could not say to you oh I can't eat that because it really bloats me because it's literally I could have a glass of water and feel bloated yeah it's a hormonal response it's not yeah it's just people look to food don't they yeah exactly and so I think we do look at it and we say oh I can't eat that because it bloats me but the understanding of well whatever goes in is going to bloat you because it's just that time of the month like that can be really helpful yeah (laughs) blame everything on that and actually some women as they do I mean I know we're not talking about menopause now but as women do go through perimenopause they can kind of get intolerances and allergies they never had before um, as their body changes and and that can genuinely be a thing but also it is uh, it is important to state that it might actually have nothing to do with that and the reason that I want to state that so strongly is because there's a massive rise in women cutting things out of their diet Mm-hmm. in order to like lessen symptoms and that's not something you should be doing without guidance no I don't personally ever like unless it is guided by a dietitian mm. I would never say to somebody you need to cut this out of your diet because mm. that will calm something down just because I think people take it to the extremes yeah often um so I'm much more of a let's add something in and see what happens, see how you feel mm. and see if the reaction can change. And I, I don't mean I don't ever say I don't tell somebody to cut something out. Because obviously, if you're eating a lot of processed food, I am going to so say let's limit that a little bit. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should uh, limit the the intensity of that food (laughs) yeah definitely I think that social media is an amazing thing insofar as women have got groups that they can talk to other women who are experiencing similar things to them Mm -hmm. which is wonderful Mm. because community as we've said before is such a powerful thing but on the flip side it's such a dangerous thing because yeah there was a a lady in one of the groups that I'm in the other day and she she was experiencing lots of gastric problems and mm-hmm. I literally lost count of the different amounts of food she was told to cut out by women. Oh, really? Well, me- really well-meaning women, by the way. This isn't people trying to intentionally harm anyone. This is people mm. who have done elimination diets themselves and gone, well, it really worked for me when I cut out gluten or it really yeah. worked when I cut out sugar and it really worked for me when I cut out dairy. And I'm thinking, she's got nothing left to eat. <laughs> Like this poor yeah. woman's going to be starving. Um, this is it, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think... think it's really... Sorry, go on. No, that's no, all right. I, I just find it interesting how you've said a lot of people said mm. they gave information of what to cut out. I wonder, did anybody ask her, do you eat enough fibre? <laughs> no, they didn't. 
not one it's, person it's interesting that. isn't it because I yeah. think when you when you look at the statistics around that uh, I mean, you'll know quicker than I will about how much you're supposed to have per day. But um, I think some something like a third of us or two thirds of us don't actually get enough of that, do we? No, the national average um, fibre intake for the UK is 18 grams. Um, Which doesn't sound a lot. It isn't a lot. And the um, the recommended intake is 30 grams. Mm. So we're massively, massively under consuming yeah. fibre yeah so if somebody was to eat 18 grams of fiber what does that look like oh wow Jen (laughs) (laughs) or a a better question would be easy ways to get fiber into your body without thinking about it well the easiest way to get fiber into into your body is to swap the things that you're eating now for whole grain options um so if you know when you go to the supermarket look at what cereals you're buying make sure that you're buying whole grain whole wheat breads um if you change your rice for brown um your pasta for whole wheat um that's a really quick and easy way to change it the other way that i find personally is really easy is to buy in some tinned beans um lentils chickpeas um, and use them as additional protein and fiber within a meal that you already cook. So there's no mm-hmm. extra preparation required there. There's nothing that you need to really do. All you do is drain a tin and throw it in. And by that, what I mean mm. is, for example, maybe you already make a chili or a bolognese or a curry. Mm. Throw throw a tin of lentils into it. Throw a tin of chicken. Yeah, so easy. It. Throw a tin of mixed beans into it. You've instantly put a really high fiber, high plant protein, um, full of vitamins and minerals. You've, it's just, just such a quick, easy, mindless way of increasing those things. And you will get gastric distress at first when you increase your fiber. You will get windy. <laughs> it will be uncomfortable. It will take a couple of weeks to get used to, but that's normal. Um, and then other ways would be just, you know, using fruit and vegetables as snacks throughout the day. So I think that's probably the quickest way of doing, yeah, eat the skins. Yeah, I think it's really interesting point you brought up about, um, the gastric distress. So this is something that I would say when somebody says to you, they're having gastric discomfort and then you get the initial, well, cut out this, cut out that, Mm. um, then when you do get them to realize they might need to add something in Mm. people in some cases it can get worse before it gets better Mm -hmm. and I think in the same way that you get a medication from the doctor and you have those um what do they call it like this is what could happen contraindications or side effects Side effects. There you go. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Brain fog. Um, Side effects. I think it's really interesting that actually it's the same for Mm -hmm. your body's reaction to because ultimately what you're doing is putting something new or more of something that your body doesn't have into your body. It needs to have that time to process it. And I think often we look to medicine and things thinking that that's like the easiest thing to get us yeah. well again, but we don't equate the same thing when we're looking at our food, like that our body is going to have an initial reaction. So we might eat it mm-hmm. and have that reaction. And then we, we'll be like, well, that made me feel like this and cut it out again. Yeah. yeah. That's a really common phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. People do that yeah. all the time. Yeah. No. And it is just a case of the body adjusting, like you say. So bear with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said leave the skin on. I love that. That's the most love simple it. thing. It's like, what? please don't take the skin off your potatoes unless you're mashing them. I always remember, but I even leave it in mash sometimes mm. um, just for a bit of texture, although my little boy doesn't like it. But the one thing <laughs> that sticks with me from like growing up is my nan nev- never, ever took the the skin off and if I tried to peel the skin oh what are you doing that for helps me poo like you know that generation I think have such a different way of looking at things and I think it's definitely really useful peeling carrots I I see people peel carrots you don't need to peel them yeah no I don't get it 
I don't go as far as leaving the skin on my kiwi. My friend does that. I, do I that. can't cope with the texture. It's that weird furry thing. <laughs> I like I like the thought of it, but every time I've tried, I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, like so an if you egg do, slicer. Well done. You know, like an egg slicer cuts it really thin. Yeah, that's the only okay. way to do that. So if you are if okay. you're really constipated and you're listening to this, two kiwi fruits <laughs> a day. In the morning, with the skin on, <laughs> cut it like an egg slicer, really, really thin. You won't feel the texture, and I and trust me, in a few days' time, you will have a complete evacuation. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> My Great. friend eats it like an apple. I oh, just wow. couldn't. No, I, no, I definitely slice mine. A bit of a wasp, but yeah. <laughs> um. So around the um the the I've lost track of the the phases. I'm going to say the luteal phase. I nearly said mm-hmm. then and got it all completely wrong. No, let's not go back. <laughs> no, and <laughs> we get a lot of cravings. Um, yeah. And this, you know, this makes sense, doesn't it? Because like we've already said, you know, we've got a change in our hormone levels. Um, we've got a change in our appetite. Um, mm-hmm. And we start to crave foods that are like um, either sweet, um, crunchy, salty, um, but basically, ultimately, they're all just really, really energy dense. So they're really high calorie foods that are hyper palatable. That's the key thing. Mm, that's Things the key. That taste really nice, give us a really great reward in the brain, um, and have got a lot of calories in there. And and that's why if you we talked last week about shame and guilt and things like that if you're in that cycle of that shame and guilt around food or you're trying to lose weight and you're not allowing yourself to understand that this is a normal thing to experience you will experience and the body is asking for something on purpose um Mm -hmm. And that you can then kind of go, well, these kind of fluctuations happen. You can factor them into your calorie intake. You can eat them without shame and guilt. And then once you do that, you're not going to overeat them because you're not going to throw yeah. the towel in and go, oh, sod it, I failed now. I might as well eat three more because you've had it, you've enjoyed it, and you can move on from it much more easily than you would have done previously. Um we could kind of go into like why cravings happen, like signals from the hypothalamus in the brain um, and why this starts the cycle, the menstrual cycle all over again. But I think that, <laughs> I think that would be a bit too much and probably turn a lot of listeners off. Um, yeah. So I think it's enough to say that, you know, you, your hormone levels change um, your serotonin drops. So you will be looking for reward from food more than normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah I was just gonna say that the this it's the serotonin that you if you concentrate on the serotonin so when you think what serotonin is and what mm-hmm. it does it's the easiest way to describe it isn't it is called is your happy hormone yeah so you go for you go for looking for things that kind of make you happy which let's be honest chocolate and all the hyper palatable foods they they do make us happy like they, they just do. do there's a reason that it's factored in they light um, up the rewards yeah, in the brain they do. And, exactly yeah and then you feel happy again so then you go and look for it again but if the cortisol is high and your serotonin is low that you know that's where it factors in a little bit and yeah. your cortisol is a stress hormone so that you go looking and that's the simplest way mm-hmm. of, of factoring it in but like like you say, if you understand that, it is okay to have that little bit of chocolate or that little bit of whatever it is that makes you happy at that time. Mm-hmm. Then and you can factor that into what you're feeling throughout the month, you are less likely to stay in that shame cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is like in you know, we do the wait what section. That's I think we should do yeah. that now because Let's do it. The cravings are actually societal and this is something I had no idea about until I started studying nutrition so in the UK women will generally crave sugary Uh fatty foods like crisps or chocolate uh-huh. and think you know that, that sort of food but it's really readily available in the UK it's something you can just grab hold of really quickly and obviously eat, yeah, and just eat and it's really hyperpalatable it's got all of the things that we've said trigger the reward sensations in the brain 
And there's been loads of studies done into this, like why do chocolate's the most common one, right? So mm-hmm. why do women crave chocolate? And they've said, well, maybe it's because it's got tryptophan in it, which will help with serotonin in the brain. Yeah, magnesium. Absolutely, yeah. Because if you're magnesium, low in magnesium, that's really associated with premenstrual syndrome. So there's been loads of studies done on this. Um, and and that's not to say that they haven't, it's not true. There is obviously going to be some truth in some of these things. But the most interesting thing is that if we go to other countries around the world, they crave different food. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So if you're, oh if my you're God, for literally example, in China, for example, they might crave um, chili, garlic, salty street food for example, okay. because that is yeah. so readily available. And if you look around the world, although chocolate is readily available in most places and <laughs> quite a common one, there are still different types of foods that score more highly on the list for women wow. to crave. How interesting. <gasps> that is it. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. that may- now you've said it, it makes so much sense. But I, I guess I'm just a victim of being told that information like everyone craves this and that is where and I think part of that is we don't even think about what's going on in other parts of the world when it comes to subjects like this I mean yeah yeah like you never think about the woman at the other end of the world going through the same Same thing and what's available to her yeah absolutely (laughs) so interesting (laughs) so in order to like wrap this up then I think the questions around this were all kind of like what can we do about it like how can we like protect ourselves how can we still work towards our goals they were all how can I control cravings they were all that sort of thing weren't they um Mm -hmm. and I think like most of it is one if you're really struggling probably try and work with a coach whether Mm -hmm. that's a PT or a nutritionist depending on what your unique perspective is that's probably going to be really helpful for you the second thing uh, we... one sorry yeah, can right. I just say there yeah when you say work with a coach uh-huh. we mean work with a coach that understands the menstrual cycle yes. so that's male or female yeah but just somebody and I say this because I have recently had um, a lady come to me who was working with someone that apparently was training her for a cycle but it was very much um google was used yeah a lot oh, God. um so yeah make sure that your coach understands and empathizes as much as they can <laughs> yeah a, a qualified coach um <laughs> the other thing is that we've talked about it quite a lot in length start to track your cycle don't just uh-huh. track what days you get your your period etc track the symptoms that you're experiencing yeah that way you can look back on them throughout the years and say, this didn't used to happen. This is new um, and yeah. make changes accordingly. Um, and if you have young women in your life, encourage them to do the same. Um, and then what well, I think the other one is like, like you said, accounting for it, preparing for mm. it. Yeah. I think the great thing about tracking though, like I, I know I keep coming back to it is that, that does allow you to set up for so many things in your life if you can get into it. And it's definitely something that I think younger women are looking at is that if they do set up for it, they know that they can be prepared when they want to come to conception, when they, their periods change postnatally, there's a a lot of changes, certainly in the first two to three years, when you come into perimenopause, you can, if you're equipped Mm. to go into your doctor and say, I understand that's where you think I am, but actually this is what is happening to my body. And you can advocate for yourself. Like that is so powerful. Yeah. Such a powerful move to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well said. I totally agree with you. And also once you know these things, once you understand it, once you're prepared for it and you can allow yourself to be kind, kind to yourself. You don't have to beat yourself up that you feel like crap or you can't train today or you're craving chocolate it's yeah a part of who we are we can accept it as part of who we accept are accept it yeah account and, for and, it and just and be really like open about talking about it like the yeah. more women talk about it the yeah. more you normalize the female body what happens with it how you're feeling the more 
women do talk about it and the more you realize that you are normal yeah. and then it doesn't it doesn't become taboo it becomes oh yeah well that's just where I am so like you say you mm. start loving yourself a little bit more and yeah. the power of loving yourself a little bit more huge yeah like you can do anything yeah it's okay even if even if you just aim for feeling okay with yourself at first yeah it's okay exactly. if I am moody sweaty <laughs> yeah that's okay don't don't worry about it fine and yeah and you don't feel so alone either and you don't need to beat yourself up for feeling that way no absolutely be a much better place so what are we talking about next week um that is a good question because I've just shut that side down (laughs) (laughs) to be honest we check this every week don't we and then we just lose track of what we're doing anyway what day is it I think I'm gonna print it off and laminate it on my wall I think that's the easiest way to do it because I keep shutting down these things when we've finished with them do Um, you have it handy I do have it handy it is underfueling in amateur sports love I didn't catch that. I think that's... Could you try again? Siri wants to join in. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really good subject to talk about uh, now. Now yes. everything's starting to pick up again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So, so and, and it will lead quite well into, lead on quite well from the menstrual cycle because these things affect the yeah. menstrual cycle, as we know. So It does. We will see you all next week. I just want to... We will. We, before we go, sorry, Kyra, I just want to say if you are on Instagram and you want to know a little bit more about the cycle, there is a really, really helpful woman called Nadia Norman. Um, I'm pretty sure she's Australian. She is all things periods. Um, so I find her really helpful. Just look her up and she will probably be able to answer your question somewhere on her grid. Is she Australian or Kiwi? Well, no, you're right. She's Kiwi. Sorry, should, Nadia. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna no. I Did she? Know. Is she Australian and she moved to New Zealand? I don't know. Oh well, or was she, she's one of them. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, she's one of them. <laughs> We've sorry. just offended the whole of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I should have kept my I'm mouth shut. Check it and apologise next week. <laughs> brilliant that's tickled me right um lovely lovely chatting with you please like follow and subscribe and we will see you all next week bye bye